Welcome to a special edition of the O'Reilly Podcast. I'm here today with my guest, Nidhi Agarwal, who is who runs strategy and operations for Tamer. Welcome to the O'Reilly Podcast, Nidhi. Thank you very much, Ben. Uh, excited to be here. So I think first off, let's talk a little bit about your background, which is very impressive indeed. Just look at your resume. So are you a mix of hardware, software in terms of background or mostly software? Hardware and software, definitely. My PhD was about virtualization and uh, that is a layer between hardware and software. Uh, so definitely both. And you've done actually a, a bunch of things that range from uh, being an engineer to being a consultant and even within engineering, you've done a variety of things, uh, research, mm -hmm. um, but you've also been an entrepreneur as well, right? Yes. And um, so I think one of the interesting things in your resume is your stint at McKinsey, which probably gave you insight into how some uh, famous large companies deal with data. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. I think what I saw at McKinsey was uh, that famous large companies have a huge desire to be data driven, right? Everybody um, has, is producing a lot of data, wants to make decision based on a lot of data, but they don't necessarily have a way of realizing that ambition, right? Uh, there's a, still a lot of silos around, okay, how much data can I use? Do I even know where the data is? Uh, what data is most relevant? How do I prepare the data to answer the questions? And sometimes that starts from, I don't even know what are the right questions to ask because I don't know what data we have and whether I can answer those questions. So what I saw over and over again, people uh, intuitively want to use more data and be more data driven, but they fall into the comfortable patterns of answering the questions that they have always answered. Right, because uh, they already have the reports and it's convenient and uh, and maybe there's a certain amount of bureaucracy that prevents them from maybe collecting and mashing up uh, disparate data sources, right? Exactly, exactly right. And uh, I think also, right, what has happened in the market is there's been so much focus on the technology around big data and less around the art of using the big data to answer the right questions. And that has also frozen the business people because they don't know what Hadoop or Spark or Yarn or any of these buzzwords flying around are. And it's very confusing to them how it helps them in any way, shape or form. So Nidhi, there's this kind of uh, informal meme among uh, uh, big data startups that uh, spending is moving away from IT towards more of the line of business people. So is that kind of a trend that you saw when you were at McKinsey, that the, the business people were more empowered now that tools are easier, they can go directly to the cloud to uh, get going on some of these IT projects? Um, I would say business people were frustrated by the lack of progress from IT is right. It was not their desire to take over the IT parts of uh, the, uh, answering the questions, but right, in words of one of our customers, for example, if they ask a question, it takes IT sometimes eight months to stitch the data together before they can even begin the analysis. 
in that time the business opportunity is lost right so i would say that it organizations who've been very effective in partnering with the business haven't lost their budget or the how they're strategic right in fact to the contrary they're getting more on the table they're the ones bringing these solutions to the business but where it has not stepped up then definitely the business people have had to take things in their own hands and uh, so at some point you you uh, went from having your own startup to tamer and mm -hmm. uh, so what in particular about Tamer uh, piqued your interest? So I think the biggest thing for me was the problem Tamer was solving. Um, the siloed data and the siloed analytics problem is something I saw over and over again, right? I mean, at McKinsey, we would routinely go into client situations and solve a problem for a client and then see that the different business units won't even talk to each other, won't even have a process of sharing data. And right, these are people who are working together towards that company being successful. And that lack of sharing was really mind boggling. And it was not that people didn't have a desire to share. It was more the systems and the processes and the tools were set up in such a silo that it was really hard to bring it together, even though right, the marketing people would love to know what they're doing in marketing, how is that affecting sales, and get, get that feedback. Right? But it was just challenging to do that. So that problem really resonated with me. Uh, the set of people who were solving this problem, uh, clearly, right, uh, were really smart people. Uh, Mike Stonebreaker, who's a Turing Award winner, Andy Palmer, who's done several startups. So that combination was right of smart people and beyond them, right? Everybody who's at Tamer is really smart. That was really attractive. And then the approach is something that made a lot of sense to me of it's not a problem we can solve just with humans and it's not a problem we can solve just with technology. We really need to connect the people and the technology together, right? So one of the things we say is machine driven human guided yeah that, that, that it's just whole, a sensible uh, approach to me that whole human in the loop in fact uh, i had uh, uh one of your co-founders ihab ilyas uh in uh an episode of my other podcast the data show and uh, mm -hmm. that turned out to be one of the more popular episodes because i think people really get uh the fact that uh, some of these best systems really combine the best of both humans and machines absolutely Absolutely. So speaking of silos, what other barriers are there to answering business questions with analytics? So I think it's a resource problem, right? Both human resources and technology resources. We've all heard the shortage of talented data scientists, right? It's almost a trope and a meme now, but there's a lack of data prep expertise. And what that manifests itself into is there is no visibility into data and its quality. It's so siloed. Um, cataloging the data, improving its quality, bringing the siloed data together. And, and, and then there's domain knowledge that really matters in this area. Absolutely, absolutely. And then performing the analytics, right? So they're all major challenges that require different tools and different skill sets. And few companies have this expertise. And there are even fewer tools that can scale or handle this complexity. We have, right, we all talk about the three V's, the volume and the variety and the velocity. There are very few tools that tackle all of that together. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, in terms of uh, data preparation, data enrichment, data cleaning, I think it's fair to say that if you talk to any uh, experienced uh, data scientists, they will admit that that's where they spend most of their time. Um, I think by the time, you, frankly, by the time you get to algorithms, that's pretty much you're celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I guess uh, it's fair to say that that's where most large organizations spend their time, right? In terms of answering business questions with analytics. Absolutely. And I mean, and the organizations that are not doing that, unfortunately, are just analyzing thin, messy cross sections of data and they're over optimizing on that. But right, that to me is a local maxima. You are analyzing 10% of your information 100% accurately. And that doesn't necessarily lead to better answers. So, so what's needed is not less data prep, right, or less data, but more efficient data preparation. Right, right. So, so, you, so you've referenced uh, uh, data existing in silos, but mm -hmm. uh, some people also talk about analytical results living in silos as well. Can you explain uh, what that means? Sure. So I think, right, the data living in silo, we can understand. The analytics really looking to silo is, say I want to answer a question about customer spend. That requires that I should identify and clean a set of data sources. And then I should bring data from, right, are the customers spending online? Are the customers spending in stores, right? Where are they spending that? So I'm bringing all of that together. Now, I've done the work before, and let's say another group, right, which is a customer satisfaction group, wants to know what is happening. Ideally, they should know this information, right, so that they can build upon this. But what happens is they start from a different set of resources or even with some of the same sources and redo the work. And now here's a question that could have been answered very simply and could have been built upon and more insights could have been gathered. In the time pressure, they probably just get to an inferior insight because they spent all their time redoing the work that had been done before or not using all of the sources that they could have because the data was siloed. So the analytics now is in that silo of that business unit versus harnessing the collective knowledge across the whole organization. So you probably uh, encountered this a lot when you were up uh, with McKinsey, but this whole problem of reproducibility, repeatability of uh, complex data pipelines and, and uh, data projects. So what uh, uh, what have you guys in, at Tamer done to alleviate some of these uh, challenges? Sure. So at Tamer, right, the way we think about it is that uh, Repeatable analytics, what we mean by repeatability is two different things, right? One is, this is the scientific definition of repeatability. You take the same analytic and somebody should be able to reproduce it, right? So that you take out the inherent biases or things like that. Very scientific method. The second part of repeatability to me is where if somebody has done the work already, we take that work and are able to extend it, right? And so repeatably, we are able to do better analytics using more data but along the way you're right? documenting the changes you're making right exactly exactly right and that to me starts with if that is the desire at tamer we think that what impedes that is this thoughtful data engineering 
if your data is going to be in silos, then your analytics are going to be in silos. And unless the same people with exactly the same input and this, right, even then it's challenging to be repeatable in the analytic, do it. Um, other people will have to repeat the work and not necessarily get the same results. So we think building a foundational data engineering where you're bringing the data sets together in a consistent way, uh, integrating them, capturing the changes that you made, having that provenance and making that integrated data across the enterprise available to every single analyst so that they can start from that solid foundation is the way to make analytics repeatable. By the way, as you were uh, describing uh, uh, repeatability and reproducibility, it just occurred to me that actually this whole notion of uh, being able to explain and interpret results to line of business users is all tied up with this, right? So, because unless you really know uh, how you manipulated the data, it becomes harder for you to explain it to business people. Exactly, right? So, and I think, right, you have to be able to start from saying, here are all the sources. So have visibility into the sources. Here's how the sources were changed. Here's how we got to the answer. And here's why it's valid. That's when, right, you can make the right decision, truly data-driven decision, and have your business people come along with in that journey. So a, a typical company will have uh, uh, many, many different systems, many different mm -hmm. uh, uh, data sources, many different uh, IT systems. So what are some good strategies for making an organization's relevant data available for analysis? I think one of the central things that is missing and write this, I talk about, everybody will talk about that the data is their asset, right? But really look at it, how are we managing it? Financial assets, you go to the CFO and the CFO can tell you exactly all the bank accounts, how much money they have, who has access to that, who is using the money in that way. If data truly is an asset, we should start managing it that way. We should have the CDO and the CIO being able to tell you where all so, the information is. Uh, is, CD, is the CDO something you're starting to see more? We are actually starting to see that more, right? As uh, as I said, enterprises want to be more data-driven. So yeah, there is this the, new the, role being crafted. The funny thing about that, I think uh, most of the first CDOs came from the government sector. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, the and, local government started... Uh, having people with that title, but uh, so now you're saying enterprises too, huh? I think enterprises have realized the need for somebody who really manages data as an asset. Interesting. So we talked a lot about silos. Uh, mm -hmm. What specific strategies would you give people for reducing analytic silos? So one is, right, number one is breaking the data silos. So have a catalog, have know where all your data is, where it lives, where it's coming from, who's using it, what it is being used for, because that information is powerful. To me, it's like, right, when Google came around and Google empowered everybody to be able to search for things, people were able to find things and ask interesting questions and do uh, more innovative things. This, In the same way, if we give visibility for all of the data within the enterprise, your business analysts will be able to think of okay, what's an interesting analysis I can do if I have this data available? If I have a question, 
can I go to a system and say, for this question, has somebody answered this question before? If they have, what analytic did they do to answer this question? What sources did they use? How did they use those sources? So having this transparent catalog, having a predictable way of preparing that data and tying it to the business questions end to end is, in my opinion, the best way to resolve these analytical silos. So the whole uh, notion of catalog actually ties to into a uh, trend I'm seeing, which is uh, people are again realizing how how important metadata is, right? Mm -hmm. so, because basically at the end of the day, catalogs are essentially metadata. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Tamer, of course, is uh, one of the companies that really has done a good job of of uh, building a system that combines the best of humans and machines, and also kind of has done a good job of educating uh, the data space about uh, about such human in the loop systems. So, generally, how much of uh, analytics, uh, recent developments in analytics, is about uh, uh, this balance between human expertise and machine learning solutions? So I think a huge part of it is this balance of between human expertise and machine learning systems. Like you said before, right? context is really important. Uh, data in the absence of context is likely to lead to bad insights. Right. So bringing that context and this especially to, uh, for example, right in industries where uh, depending on the context, the meaning of the data itself changes. Uh, so pharma, financial services, uh, manufacturing are all examples of places where if you don't have the right context, the same data can mislead you to a bad insight. So a lot of the analytics that we are performing today and that are actually effective tend to have this combination of bringing the right human expertise at the right time, but then scaling it using machine learning so that the human doesn't have to be involved constantly in order to scale to these large data sets. So you've spent the uh, time as a consultant at McKinsey. Now you're in, a, in an enterprise software startup, Tamer. So if you were to start a data team, how would you, would you organize it around different uh, kind of specializations like uh, you'd have data engineers who specialize in uh, data preparation versus data analytics? I think I would, uh, so one, yes, I would uh, have the data engineers uh, separated from the data analysts because two different skills, but the data, I would still take the philosophy of where I'm using technology to automate a lot of the data engineering and bring the data analysts into the process, right? Rather than creating another silo of here are my data engineers and they don't talk to data analysts, I would rather have that we use technology that facilitates the business and the IT to talk to each other and uh, then technology scales those insights. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess that's the whole notion of the uh in many ways, right? So that's the genesis of the term data science, someone who can do end-to-end. -end. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it used to be so uh, so task-specific, like, oh, I need data. Let me go to the IT department and have them pull the data, and then I will get the data, and then my job is to analyze the data. Right, right. Yeah. And that disconnect doesn't work, right? Because then you're losing the context. So one of the examples we use is in pharma, if you have a substrate, IC55 or EC55, 
the IT person, if they're the data engineer, they have no context whether it's a typo, these are actually two different things, or in particular context, these can be the same thing. Whereas the research scientist, or in some cases, the analysts will have that context and they can make that decision. So, uh, you know, one of the, uh, we, we talked a lot about uh, organizations having many, many different sources, right? But uh, actually in many companies, there's still one uh, so source data, uh, type of mm -hmm. source data that's really prevalent and that's uh, spreadsheets. <laughs> so, yes. so do you, do you guys at Tamer uh, encounter that a lot? You know, I mean, uh, even in our, our company, O'Reilly, we've got so many, we still have our accounting people using so many spreadsheets. And by the way, each of those spreadsheets have so many tabs with many uh, embedded links to other spreadsheets. It's just uh, really challenging. It's a huge challenge. And I'll give you an example from one of our customers, uh, pharma customer with right billions of dollars of uh, r&d spend and they had a bunch of uh, r&d scientists uh, recording their experiments and observations in spreadsheets equivalent of spreadsheets wow. uh, and right in the beginning they had about when they encountered tamer about 15000 spreadsheets and by the time we were done 27000 spreadsheets and right how this siloed data was affecting them was that while they were spending billions of dollars on R&D, they had no cohesive place to see whether it was being effective or how, right, whether the different scientists were working on the same thing, could they build from each of the experiments. There was just no place to do analysis like that. And using Tamer, they were able to bring these 27,000 spreadsheets uh, together and actually for the first time see comprehensively where where they were spending their R&D dollars, what results were they getting, what were the scientific insights that these scientists were generating and actually optimize their R&D spending around that. So how, how did that story end? Are they still uh, using spreadsheets? So they're still using spreadsheets, right? One of the things that Tamer embraces is we're not trying to rip and replace and say, hey, if only you used uh, particular version of some software tool or some database, then all your problems will go away. Because that's what, frankly, a lot of the big enterprise database uh, software companies have uh, tried to sell. And it hasn't worked out, right? People want to use different tools. People want to use spreadsheets. And we at Tamer think that embracing that heterogeneity, embracing that variety and scale is what is needed. Let people use the spreadsheets, but give them a thin layer of software that can help you analyze all of those spreadsheets in a cohesive manner. And that's what Tamer does for them. So this has been great. So maybe we'll close uh, by uh, uh, you listing so what you think are the best practices for our organizations that want to be able to answer their most pressing business questions. So one is use all your relevant data. Make efforts to make all of that data visible available and accessible, right? So then do thoughtful data engineering around it so that you don't have to start from scratch for each new question, right? Do that data prep across the silos so that you can scale in a time sensitive manner, right? Because time is really, really of essence here. And then answer questions repeatedly, not only have verification of the questions that have been answered before, but build on that. 
accelerate your analytics doing these things so that you're spending most of your time asking new questions, answering more questions, and getting to a better insight using more of the data rather than the local maxima that we are stuck in today. And on that note, thank you, Nidhi Agarwal, Global Lead of Operation Strategy and Marketing at Tamer. Thank you so much, Ben. It was a pleasure.